along with God's continued work among the nations, we are confronted with an interesting question, right? That if you take what I just said seriously, a legitimate question arises as to why do we need Yeshua? This is actually a very good question, and often it is not really given justice, especially when you consider the question as a religious Jew. Think about this for a second, because I know many of you have. If a religious Jew is faithful to God, prays regularly, studies Torah, lives a faithful life devoted to helping others, and is part of the people of Israel who are still in a covenant relationship with Hashem, then why does Yeshua matter? Why do we need Yeshua? As many religious Jews ask, why do I need a middleman if I can go straight to God? It's a legitimate question. I'm not saying there's not an answer. What I'm saying is that it's a legitimate question. This question at times even enters the minds of committed Messianic Jews and believers. As one of my best friends, Nick Amick, who many of you know, because he's also a former member of our congregation, now living in the land of snow in Wisconsin. As my good friend Nick recently, or a while ago pointed out in a Torah commentary for First Fruits of Zion, often the way most people try to answer the question of why Yeshua is with some complicated and convoluted answer that has something to do with the sacrificial system. However, this approach is one that your average Messianic Jew or your average Christian is actually ill-equipped to discuss, and one in which your average Jew is totally ignorant. After all, it's only been about 2,000 plus years since we've had sacrifices. So I'm not really convinced that answering with the convoluted answer about the sacrifice is really the best answer. Now, before you start throwing rocks, <laughs> let me say that I'm obviously not talking about um, or denying the importance of Yeshua's sacrificial atonement and how to best explain our faith. To, to, but let me rephrase that. I'm obviously not dismissing the importance of Yeshua's atoning sacrifice. And I think that there is a legitimate discussion around how Yeshua's death and resurrection and all of those things fulfill the sacrificial kind of end of things, right? Instead, what I'm talking about is how do we explain our faith to those who do not necessarily share it? Does that make sense? Therefore, the more practical answer to this question of why you need, we need Yeshua. This week's Torah portion offers a much clearer and a more direct response. In a passage that we heard alluded to earlier in Deuteronomy 18.15, we read, Navi mikirbecha me'achicha kemoni yakim lecha Adonai lohecha elav tishme'un. Adonai will raise up a prophet like me from among yourselves, from your own kinsmen. You are to pay attention to him. And if we jump to verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet from among their brethren, like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them, and that, and all that I shall command him. 
And it shall come to pass that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, will have to account for himself to me. Many Torah commentators today have interpreted this only on the level of what we call Peshat, the simplest, the plain reading, and interpret it to refer to Israel's succession of post-Mosaic prophets, right? All this has to do is that God's saying that I'll raise up a prophet, right? And, and there'll be succession of prophets, which we can read about in the Bible, and that's all. However, when we view this prophecy in connection with the concluding words of the Torah, which is, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew it face to face, then this interpretation doesn't seem to completely fit the context. And there seems to be more of an implicit hint that favors a more eschatological, means a future, or a messianic interpretation. The key point in this passage from the Torah is that God will raise up a prophet who is like Moses. We had some great prophets in Israel's history. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, like I'm sure all of you have your favorite. Eliyahu, right? Elijah. But none of them we would say was like Moses, right? So there's no way that the rabbis, when they say that, oh, this was just talking about the biblical prophets, that that is the correct answer. And in fact, the key point in this passage from the Torah, as I mentioned, is the one like Moses. So the question is, is there justification to read this passage messianically? Meaning, is the figure Moses is speaking of here a reference to a greater prophet than himself? And if so, could the Torah be referring to Messiah? I think it's really important that we always ask questions. At least this is a Jewish way of reading the Bible, right? The way that we were talking this morning, and I don't disagree, is that we just made the assumption that we approach that passage messianically. The question is... passage messianically. And if we're wrong, then we're wrong. So let's do a little more explanation or um, a little more exploration. There is actually a historic precedence in reading this passage messianically. One of the earliest references in the Dead Sea Scrolls in a, a particular document called the, the Manual of Discipline or the Community Rule we read a reference to this passage in Deuteronomy where it says, they shall govern themselves using the original precepts by which the men of the yachad of the community began to be instructed until so until there comes the prophet and the messiahs of Aaron and Israel. The Dead Sea Scrolls here refer to a figure known as the prophet obviously referring to this passage from Deuteronomy, and connects the, that title with a messianic conception, right? So it puts the two ideas together. It doesn't directly say that it's the Messiah, but it puts the concepts together. However, there's something that is even older called the Samaritan Pentateuch. So the Samaritans, which I don't have time to go into, but are really cool, and they, give it, they should actually get a little more attention than what... Um, than what most of us are familiar with. So the Maritans are the closest thing to Jews, right? That they're actually a people of mixed background, but their religion is Judaism. And they 
since they didn't experience the same type of destruction and, di and diaspora that Jews did, they still have sacrifices, they still have a priesthood, right? So when, you, when it's Passover and we just hold up a shank bone, they actually slaughter, they still slaughter a lamb. Like so, anyway, the Samaritan, their Torah scroll, which scholars call the Samaritan Pentateuch, in its version of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, has a unique account of the giving of the Torah. So in our accepted version of the giving of the Torah, in Exodus 20, verse 21, here's all it says. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud to where God was. That's what our Masoretic text says. Masoretic text is a fancy term to refer to the one we use today, right? However, in the Samaritan version, that's only the beginning of the passage. So I want you to listen closely. Here's how it reads in the Samaritan version. And the people stood afar off, and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to, Mos to Moses to say, I heard what the people have said, all that they have spoken to you. They have spoken wisely. All that they have spoken, let them put in their hearts so that they can keep my commandments all of their days, so that it will be good to them and to their children forever. Keep listening. A prophet I shall raise up for them from among their brothers, and I will place my words in his mouth to speak to them all that I'm commanding them. And it becomes that the man who will not listen to his words that are spoken in my name will have to account of himself to me. It's fascinating to note that the Samaritan Pentateuch connects the raising up of this prophet, right, that we read about in Deuteronomy, but places it inside of the, giving of the story of the giving of the Torah. Therefore, they're assigning to this prophet the role of lawgiver, which traditionally only belongs to God. Do you understand what the Samaritans are doing here and why this is a big deal? And this is older than anything that the rabbis say. Furthermore, there is also precedence within rabbinic literature to read this passage as referring to the Messiah. So we just established in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the, Pentateuch, and the Samaritan Pentateuch that this tradition is very ancient, right? So now, let's say by the time of the rabbis, it's also common to interpret this passage messianically. One of the clearest examples appears in the works of a medieval commentator, Rabbi Levi ben Gershom, who's known as the Ralbag. In his commentary on Deuteronomy 34.10, he states, there will not arise a prophet like Moses, who was a prophet to Israel only, but there will be a prophet from the people for the nations, and this is the King Messiah. As it says in the Midrash, behold, my servant will prosper. That's quoting Isaiah 52, 13, right? Behold, my servant will prosper, that he will be greater than Moses. And it is explained that the miracles he will do will be greater than Moses. Moses only brought Israel alone to the service of God. May he be blessed with new miracles. And he, the Messiah, will bring all the nations to serve God. Blessed is he. As it says, then he quotes Zephaniah, there will, then will all the nations be turned to a pure speech. They will all call 
on the name of God. This faith will come about due to the wondrous miracles that will be seen to all ends of the world by all the nations, and this is the resurrection of the dead. So what he's saying is that this prophet will indeed be greater than Moses, because Moses only brought Israel to God. But the, but the prophet who is like Moses, but greater than Moses, he will bring all people to the knowledge of God. And the miracle that he will do that is greater than anything Moses did, the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> did anybody catch that? Or was this a little too... T I understand this is like technical stuff, but work with me here. Lastly, the understanding of this passage from Deuteronomy as referring to the Mashiach is also supported in the Brit Chadashah as well, in the New Testament. In fact, the righteous martyr Stephen, in his trial before the Sanhedrin, begins his defense by recounting biblical history and pointing out how in his own time Moses was rejected by the people, right? In Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 35, we read, where Stephen is now speaking very boldly to the Sanhedrin, this Moses, whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will rise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. He directly quotes the passage from Deuteronomy. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai, and with our ancestors, he received living oracles to give to us. Stephen then continues with his rebuke in verses 51 and 52 and connects the prophet directly with Yeshua. So not only does he earlier say that this will be the Messiah, but now he's saying that that prophet is Yeshua. In verse 51 he says, You stiff-necked people! uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Man, this is tough. <laughs> I'm glad he wasn't speaking to me at this time. Actually, kind of was to all of us, right? As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So he's saying the righteous one that was spoken of, you have now murdered and betrayed. Who is he referring to? Who's the one who was murdered and betrayed? Yeshua. Here we see Stephen connects the righteous one, Yeshua, with the prophet like Moses, where he directly quotes Deuteronomy 18.15. It appears that Stephen was quoting from a textual, tra a textual tradition of reading this passage messianically that predates himself, and we saw this with the Dead Sea Scroll passage and uh, with the example from the Samaritan Pentateuch. So finally, how will this prophet be like Moses? If he's supposed to be like Moses, how is he like Moses? Moses actually acted in three distinct roles. Number one, as a prophet right? Says who spoke with God face to face. As a priest, remember he's the one who inaugurated the first high priest. When Aaron and his sons were inaugurated as priests, it's Moses who then goes in and anoints them and everything. So he also functions as a priest. And finally, as a king. 
as Deuteronomy 35.5 states, he, Moshe, became king. It's interesting to note that the term Mashiach, which literally just means anointed one, was originally a title designated for these three types of people, right? In the Bible, Yeshua is not the only one who's called Messiah. In fact, even King Cyrus in Isaiah is referred to as the Mashiach. Why? Because he's the anointed one used of God to deliver the Jewish people, right? An anointed one delivers Jewish people. It's just that Yeshua is HaMashiach, right? The Messiah. He's an even bigger deal. Just as Moses held all three titles, so too will the prophet, like Moses, hold all three titles. We see the ultimate interpretation of Moses' prophecy come to life. I love this. When Philip exclaims to Nathaniel about Yeshua, we've found the one that Moses wrote about in the Torah. When they said, we found the one that Moses wrote about in the Torah, they're talking about the prophet that he said we're supposed to listen to. According to the New Testament, not only is our passage from Deuteronomy interpreted messianically, but it is also directly attributed to Yeshua himself. And the reason is because Yeshua ultimately fulfilled all three of these roles as well. He is the prophet who is greater than Moses. He is the great high priest as described in the book of Hebrews, and he is the king of the Jews. So now, again, I ask the question, why do we need Yeshua? One way we might answer our modern-day objectors is to point directly to the Torah itself, using Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19 to show that God raised up this prophet who we are supposed to listen to and Yeshua's fulfillment and superiority of this prophecy, right? For those of you who missed it, we had Joseph Shulam here on Wednesday night, and he said a couple of really great things, but he said something that I've heard before. But I was thinking about it this morning when he said one of the things that really challenged him to become a believer in Yeshua was when somebody basically said, Yeshua is either the greatest liar and deceiver of all time, or he's the Messiah. <laughs> There's no other way about it, right? You either take the claims that what he said is true, or they're not, right? And he said that really got him to think that either Yeshua really is the Messiah or he's not. And the thing that we can say to our people is, why, do, why does it matter that we believe in Yeshua? Well, one great reason is because Moses himself said, that there will be a prophet after him who is even greater than he is, and we're supposed to listen to him. And if we don't, we have to account of ourselves before God himself. So either Yeshua is this prophet greater than Moses, or he's not. But if he is, and you're wrong, you're going to have to account him before it, before God. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know what, the high holidays are only a few weeks away. Gewalt, right? <laughs> I have Yom Kippur. What do I need Yeshua for? Well, for all the same reasons and more that we observe Yom Kippur or any other mitzvah in the Torah, meaning not to gain favor in God's eyes so that we may obtain entrance into the world to come, but rather 
out of a sense of obedience and devotion as an act of love to create connection to God? And if so, then how much more do we have a reason to follow the commandment to believe in the coming prophet who is like Moses? If Moses was the agent for the giving of the Torah and the whole basis of our faith in both Judaism and Christianity, then how much more should we believe in that coming prophet who is like Moses and whom Moses foretold? Furthermore, each one of the readings assigned to this week all speak of the raising up of this messianic figure, a prophet like Moses in the Torah, the suffering servant who is mentioned just after this week's Haftarah reading, and Yeshua's revelation of himself to his Talmudim following his resurrection. If you have been questioning why Yeshua, maybe it's time to take another look. If you have not seriously considered whether or not Yeshua really is the Messiah, look again. If you've wondered why and how can we believe that Yeshua is this prophet greater than Moses, you're actually standing on solid ground, not only in asking the question, but the answer is that, we're, that we have historically read this passage messianically, and you can trust that we're not just making things up or twisting scripture. I want to challenge you and myself. Yeshua is indeed the prophet like Moses. The question is, will you listen to him? And will you follow him? Avinu, Shabashamayim, our Father in heaven. God, you're the one who instructed Moses to tell the people that you would raise up eventually a prophet who would be greater than Moses and that we have to account for ourselves if we don't follow him. I pray, God, that you would help us to have the firmness of faith and the conviction that we're indeed in good company when we proclaim Yeshua to be the Messiah. And one of the many reasons why he is the Messiah is because he fulfills the role of that prophet who's greater than Moses. God, I pray that you would help us as a community to strengthen our faith, to be bold in our witness, and to proclaim to our people and the world that you are indeed the Messiah. That we would not shrink back but especially as the high holidays come, that we would uh, approach our Jewish friends and family and others who we feel really need to be here this, this coming high holidays, that we would invite them. And God, that you would open the floodgates of heaven and pour out your blessings, your wisdom, your guidance, your mercy. At this time when we open the gates and we cry out to you, Draw us nearer to your Torah and to our living Torah, Yeshua the Messiah, 
so that, so that we can wholeheartedly return to you. We pray all of this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. So please rise as we seal what we've been discussing with the words of the Elenu, acknowledging that it is upon us, it's our obligation to worship the creator of all. <laughs>